0: This is Jason Hansen, pastor of Anchor Church. Thank you for jumping onto our sermon podcast. My prayer is that as you listen to this sermon, you're encouraged in your walk with Jesus and that you live for him in all of life. Enjoy the sermon now. Good morning, Dennis and Laura. Thanks so much for sharing. That is, uh, how encouraging was that, right? Just to see God work and actually as we're going to see today, what Dennis and Laura and the team at Developing Workers was doing was they were modeling or foreshadowing the perfect new creation that we're all going to exist in someday. They were showing the healing power of Jesus and what he was doing. And so we're going to hear about that this morning. And my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors. If I've not met you, I would love to do so. Um, So make your way up. I'd love to meet you. Um, We're so glad that you're here this morning. And I want to invite you to open your Bible to Revelation 21. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can download an app, UVersion app, on your phone, and it's a free Bible. You can follow along. We'll be in Revelation 21. You know, we've been going through a series called This Is Us. It is about finding our place in the story of the Bible, in God's kingdom. And for the last few weeks, we've seen these chapters or these movements that God has in the Bible. We've seen creation. We've seen fall. Last week, we saw redemption. And today, we're at the end of the story, which is consummation, the completion and finalization of all things. Next week, we're going to close out the series, and it's going to be extra special next week because it's going to be Chris Amaro's first sermon here at Anchor. It is going to be fantastic, man. I'm, I'm excited, Chris, to hear you preach, and he's going to help us see how do we live in light of everything we've learned about God's story. But before we get there, we're going to see today what the last chapter in God's story is. You know, sometimes people refer to this as restoration or renewal. Those are good terms, but I prefer consummation. Here's why. Because as we'll see, God won't merely restore or renew things to what the original creation was. Not going to merely renew or restore. It will be the consummation or completion of all things to what the original creation anticipated, never attained. That's what we're going to see. And as I thought about today's sermons, it sermon, it made me think that we're getting to that time of year, you know. It seems to approach earlier every year, and that is the Hallmark Christmas movie season, right? You all seen a Hallmark movie? The joke is if you've seen one Hallmark movie, you've seen them all, really. <laughs> I mean, that's just the case. And they're lighthearted. They're clean movies. They, they wrap up real nicely in a, in a present at the end, perfectly resolved. And at the same time, they are just completely predictable. Like you can predict them from beginning to end, right? And I found that when it comes to Hallmark Christmas movies, there are two teams. There's Team Christmas, Team Christmas, Noel, my daughter, I'm on Team Christmas. I know a couple, Julie's on Team Christmas. I know a couple of you are on Team Christmas where we love Hallmark movies, right? And then there's Team Scrooge. (laughs) Team Scrooge, you know, Tyler would definitely be on Team Scrooge. He's not a big fan of Christmas. I think you're getting the picture. The Hobbiggers have a divided house when it comes to Hallmark movies. See, Noelle and I, we love our Hallmark movies. Kara, not the biggest fan, (laughs) not the biggest fan. But it actually makes sense why she isn't. Why she isn't the biggest fan is she feels that they offer too simple of a resolution, you know, sort of this cheap ending or solution when you get to to the end of the movie. Rather than inviting you into something bigger, it actually gives you sort of a cheap and small ending or resolution at the end. You know, I think that makes sense. I think we all get that. I, I still like my Hallmark movies. In fact, we started one last night. Kara graciously started watching it while we chuckled at the complete predictability of the movie. <laughs> but as I thought about this idea of a cheap solution or cheap resolution, it made me think of the sermon today. You see, I think most of us have a view of the end of the story, if we're honest, where our final destination goes something like this. Our final destiny when we die is to go to heaven to be with Jesus in his presence forever. And that is eternity for us. That's it. Our final destination is to be with Jesus after we die. That's, that's the end goal. And we're really not sure what that looks like. Like, is this some immaterial, like disembodied experience where we're floating on clouds and playing harps and we're in this eternal worship concert where we're constantly bowing our heads down? And because we're with Jesus, it really doesn't matter about earth anymore because why would we need earth when we're going to be in eternity with Jesus? You resonate with that? Sort of that confusing idea of what eternity is like? And I want to submit to you, if that is our view of eternity, we're settling for a cheap substitute or a cheap resolution when the Bible invites us to experience so much more. You might be thinking, Aaron, how in the world could you be saying that being taken away to heaven, away from this earth to be with Jesus forever is a cheap substitute? Isn't heaven in the Bible? And what I'm saying is I'm not trying to take heaven away from you. I'm trying to invite you and expand your vision of heaven in a way you've never seen before maybe. I want us to expand our view of heaven and the completion or consummation of all things. We're going to see heaven is important. Yes, where we go when we die is important, but it's not our final destination And what we're gonna see today is that the consummation, the completion of all things, God's kingdom won't take place in heaven, but it will take place on earth. It will take place on earth. And so here's our big idea today. Our big idea is this. Our final hope is dwelling with God in the new creation. Our final hope is dwelling with God in the new creation. Dwelling with God in the new heaven and earth, that's our final hope and destination. We'll talk more about what that looks like, but what's at stake if we don't get this church? Why does this even matter? Well, it matters for God and it matters for you. It matters for God so that he gets all of the glory and the consummation and restoration of all things. We're gonna see that a biblical view of the new creation, of the new heaven and new earth, is not about God whisking us away to some other place. It's about him bringing heaven to earth to deal with all the brokenness and the pain and the evil that is in this world. He will fulfill all of his promises to us and he will not let Satan, death or sin have the last say. It is about him renewing and redeeming us and all the physical creation. And Jesus will win and get all the glory in the end, amen? That's what's at stake. It also matters for us and here's why it matters for us because I think if I'm honest, I think if you're honest, This vision I've had, this vision a lot of Christians have that we enter into Jesus' presence when we die and we're destined for some disembodied experience. We're supposed to worship him and be excited about it, but if we're honest, it's all really confusing and it's really not all that much compelling in the end. It's sort of like when Tyler preached about the Trinity, right? It's something that is so abstract and confusing. We know we're supposed to be excited about it, but we really aren't. And just like Tyler said, the triune God wants more for you. The triune God wants more for you. He wants so much more for you when you think about eternity with him. And if we settle for a cheap resolution or substitute of the consummation, we short-circuit our hope in God. And instead, God wants to open up a whole new hope that we will dwell with him in the new creation. That's what's at stake. And so here's where we're going this morning. We're going to read some portions of Revelation 21. We're going to break it down, see what it means, and then we're going to see how we can live it out. Now, Revelation, this this is a wild book. Revelation is full of images. It's referred to as apocalyptic literature, meaning it's highly symbolic to convey meanings. It seems really weird for us because we don't live in the region uh, in the reader's original context, we don't get their cultural symbolism or imagery. But stick with me as we go through the message, and I think we'll be able to see what's actually being communicated by the end of our time. So let's go to Revelation 21. I want to invite you to follow along. Revelation 21, starting in verse 1, says this, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water, of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Now skip down with me to verse 22 of chapter 21. Verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of the Lord gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen. Amen. Well, there's a lot there. There is a lot there. And so, as we go through this today, I think it'd be helpful for us to organize or think through how we tackle this with two questions. Two questions. When will the consummation happen? And then what will the consummation look like? When will the consummation happen? What will the consummation look like? So first, when will the consummation happen? Well, the consummation is going to happen at Jesus' second return, when he returns back to earth at his second coming. The Bible makes it clear that one day, Jesus, he's going to return to earth, unite all things in heaven and earth to him. He'll establish his kingdom. He'll bring perfect harmony between heaven and earth when he returns. Now, there are a lot of different views and details and understandings of how exactly Jesus does return and when he returns. And we're not going to get into all that today. We don't have to agree on all the details as Christians. You know, the main things in Scripture are the plain things, and the plain things in Scripture are the main things. And here's the main thing we can all agree on jesus is coming back amen jesus is coming back and when he comes the consummation and completion of his plan of redemption will happen guaranteed no ifs ands or buts about it our final hope is dwelling with god in the new creation when he comes back it's going to happen at his second coming and so second second question What will this new consummation look like? What will the consummation look like? And this is where we're going to really spend the bulk of our time today. This brings us to Revelation 21 that we just read, particularly verse 1. It starts off with this amazing yet confusing description. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and the sea was no more. What in the world is going on here? New heaven, new earth, no more sea? We'll get to that in a minute. What is going on? We want to remember that John is using imagery here. This type of literature, this apocalyptic literature, wasn't meant to be a literal one-to-one correlation with all of its descriptions. This description that John used would have made complete sense to his readers at the time. The idea of heaven and earth coming together, heaven and earth rejoining together was a theme that John's readers saw was in the Bible over and over and over again. We need to reorient our mind around the concept of heaven and earth that the biblical writers had. And what this means is we likely need to readjust maybe that picture of heaven we have that immediately comes to mind for us because if we import our view of heaven, we'll miss what the Bible is saying and how much more God has for us. So I mentioned earlier, many of us think of heaven as this place where Christians go to be with Jesus when they die. And that's typically our total concept of heaven and eternity. It begins and ends there for us. The Bible is clear. If we know Christ and die before his second coming, we will go to be in his presence with him until he comes again. Our body stays in the grave, decaying, and our spirit is in the presence of Jesus. And we typically call this place heaven, and the Bible talks about that. But here's the thing, that's not the final destination for believers when they die. It's merely an intermediate state. It's intermediate, it's between death and Jesus' return. It's not final. We're actually gonna do a U-turn of sorts. We die, our spirit goes to heaven in the presence of Jesus, And when Jesus comes back, we come back to earth, make a U-turn, we're reunited with our resurrected bodies. Again, heaven as this intermediate state is important, but it's not final. If we only think of and talk about heaven as merely this intermediate state, it ends up producing a cheap ending for us in the end. We miss out on this fuller and beautiful concept of heaven and earth, consummation, new creation that God has for us. So when John's readers would have read that one day God will bring heaven and earth together, they would have had this beautiful concept they saw in the Bible that God was rejoining and reuniting heaven and earth. Heaven, biblically speaking, is the place where God dwells and his will is done perfectly all of the time, where all of his glory resides. And think back to the Garden of Eden, where God's fullness dwelt among his creation. It says he walked with his creation His will was perfectly done. Eden displayed complete harmony between heaven and God's dwelling, intersecting with earth and creation. This harmony between heaven and earth, it was fractured then because of humanity's rejection and rebellion against him, the fall that we saw. But God's plan has always been to reunite heaven and earth perfectly at the consummation. So when John sees here in Revelation 21.1, he says, a new heaven and a new earth. John isn't speaking of two separate places as if there's a new heaven somewhere and a new earth someplace else. It's actually one physical place, one physical realm. A new heaven and a new earth reunited together. It's not like heaven is up here and earth is down here and we're somehow, you know, just transported back and forth between them. It is a reuniting and overlapping of heaven and earth as one place, of physical creation similar to what we saw in Eden. God is restoring his creation. We see these pictures in Revelation 21. We didn't read them, but of a bride coming down out of heaven, an elaborate city coming down out of heaven to earth. All these mixed metaphors, yet one thing is in common, I want us to notice. They come from heaven to Earth. We do not go from heaven from Earth to heaven as our final hope. Rather, heaven comes to Earth. In this rejoining of heaven and Earth together in the new creation, it's actually pictured as a temple a place where God perfectly dwells with his people. The elaborate measurements in Revelation 21, the jewels, are images actually that refer back to God's temple, where his presence would dwell perfectly, where heaven and earth perfectly came together. And look at what it says in verse 22 of Revelation 21. It says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Now wait, wait, <laughs> I thought we just said the new creation was the temple, and now it's saying that there is no temple. What in the world is going on here? Well, there is no temple building in the city because the city itself, the new creation, is the temple. Jesus is the temple. The measurements in Revelation 21, there's a perfect cube it talks about. And the Holy of Holies in the temple was a perfect cube. It's as if the creation itself becomes a Holy of Holies, a perfect temple, because there's not a place where God's presence and glory won't shine in all of its brilliance. And the new creation is also pictured as a garden in Revelation 21. The tree of life is there, the river of life runs through the new creation. Where have we seen this before? Well, this is a picture of Eden, right? But it's better than Eden because there is no tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's actually absent from this picture. It means that there is no chance of sin and evil that can ever fracture this joining of heaven and earth together. This idea is all summed up in Revelation 21.4 where he says, The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. That phrase, they will be his people and God will be their God, is repeated over and over and over again in the Bible. When you see it, I encourage you to highlight it because it communicates God's ultimate mission and promise. His promise to dwell with his people so he can bless them with his perfect presence for all of eternity. But in what sense is this new heaven and new earth new? What does this newness look like? How is it new? Well, this is how it's new. The new creation is going to be a new quality of creation and existence that we have no idea about. John uses a specific word here for new in the Greek, and it refers to a newness of quality or nature. So it's like when Paul said, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? He's a new creation. It means that... It doesn't mean that we didn't exist as creatures before. It means we've been transformed into a newness of quality. Our broken, sinful nature has been done away with in a sense. And we are new creations with a new nature. And John's saying the same thing here. The new creation will have a new quality and newness of existence that the broken creation never had. The broken quality, the old quality of existence will pass away and the new will be ushered in. The new creation is going to be one place, this joining of heaven and earth together. It will have a newness of quality and nature, and it will be a physical new creation. Look at Revelation 21.5, where Jesus says, Behold, I am making all things new. Now notice, it doesn't say Jesus is making all new things. It doesn't say Jesus is making all new things. He makes all things new. There is a big difference there. He doesn't scrap the old creation and start making a bunch of new things. He actually starts with the old creation that already exists, and he makes it new. That's what it says. It's like he resurrects it, and it matters because it means that God wins in the end. He doesn't throw away the old creation. Satan, death, and sin do not win. His infinite power remakes and redeems the old into the new. Think about it this way. Think about a Ford Model T, you know, the, one of the first cars in the early 1900s. And now think of a Tesla. When we think of a Tesla, it's not like there were just a few features added to the Model T to make a Tesla. The Tesla is an entirely new quality of car that people had no category for. There's continuity in the fact it's still a car, but there is a new quality. There was a newness about it that is special. The earth we live on now, it's not like God's just going to make a little new tree here, a new river here like Bob Ross. Little tree here, little tree, little river here. No, he will transform the creation in a way that's unimaginable to us. Yet it has some form of continuity with what we know. The new creation will have a continuity with the old creation, but it will be transformed and made new, better in nature and quality. And in what way is this new creation better? Well, actually, the Bible doesn't get into a lot of those details. The biblical writers, for whatever reason, weren't interested in a lot of the details and answering those questions. But I think here's what we can say. Jesus's resurrection body is the clearest example we have of what the new creation is going to be like. It was a physical resurrected body, just like we'll receive. Thomas was able to touch Jesus's side, feel his scars. Jesus ate food. There was continuity. The disciples could recognize him. There was some continuity there. Yet there's something new and qualitatively different. We see Jesus passes through walls. What in the world's going on there? I got no idea, and the Bible's not really all that interested in answering it. (laughs) There's a new element, though, of the newness of quality in nature that we can't grasp. We can be assured that this new creation and our resurrected bodies will be incorruptible. The old creation is corruptible. The new creation is not. So as we think about the consummation of all things, I think we can say that the new creation will have a continuity with the old. There's a physicality to it similar to Jesus' resurrection body. And this physical new creation, the new heaven and new earth, will offer complete safety. All threats are removed. That's why in Revelation 21, the city gates never need to be shut. Nothing unclean will ever enter the new creation. There's no chance another fall could happen or sin enter into the picture. Isn't that great news, church? John says there will be no more sea. What in the world is he talking about there? Well, the, those in the ancient Near East, the sea to them was chaos, murkiness. They were seafaring people, storms, unpredictability. This is imagery revealing that all chaos will be removed in the new creation. I I don't think it means there won't be any water or seas in the new creation. It is imagery to make a literary point. There will be no more chaos. Goodness only, no more chaos. We'll experience no more evil, pain, suffering, and death. We read that God wipes away every tear. He obliterates death. No more sadness due to evil. This is great news, church. In the new creation, we will never experience oppression, murder, abuse, no more chronic pain, no more migraines, no more sleepless nights, no more anxiety, no more depression, no more fear, no more cancer, no more COVID, no more relational conflict. Our very worship of God himself, think about this, our very worship of God himself will no longer be mixed with our sinful desires. Think about that for a moment. No more constantly paddling the worship of God with distractions and our sin, right? How great is that going to be? And it's not as if we're just going to sit around and have one big eternal worship concert for the end of time, okay? Again, we want to think back to Adam and Eve in the garden. They didn't just sit around having an eternal worship service. They worshiped God, how? By experiencing and enjoying his good creation, And in a similar way, we're going to commune and worship God by reigning over and enjoying the gift of his new creation. We'll reign as his redeemed and resurrected image bearers as the pinnacle of the new creation. We will reign by fulfilling jobs and tasks that are unimaginably enjoyable, by harnessing the physical resources in the new creation to enjoy and bring glory to God, just like Adam and Eve did in Eden. We're going to enjoy food and drink, hiking, sports, creating building art a myriad of other things that god out of his love provides for our enjoyment in his glory man i'm looking forward to golf in the new creation (laughs) i don't know if it'll be there for sure but god is going to allow us to enjoy his new creation and we see this reuniting of heaven and earth in creation is only made possible by one person and that is the lamb of god Jesus is the Lamb who provides sacrifice and atonement needed for God's people so we can enter His presence, His temple city. You needed sacrifice and atonement in the Old Testament to enter the temple. Jesus, in His self sacrificial death, He He loved us and it led Him to die for us to take all of our rejection and rebellion upon Himself. All of our sin all the injustice, all the evil upon himself so that we could be pure and be brought into God's temple city, have the true life and forgiveness and resurrection power that only comes in Jesus. Jesus' willingness to bring heaven down to earth cost him his very life, and yet he did it out of love. And he is not the dead king. He is the victorious risen king and lamb who will be the very light and life of revelation 21 in the new creation it is all about him in the end and it's only because of him he made this possible and we are never going to get tired church of enjoying and praising him forever and ever we can never exhaust his infinite glory and boundless love he will continue to reveal the depths of his infinite mercy and grace and love towards us for all of eternity Do you see how embracing this final hope that we will dwell with God in His new creation offers so much more fulfillment than being whisked away from earth to some disembodied experience we think of? It invites us to experience full human lives in all of the physicality and spirituality God intended, dwelling with our Savior for our enjoyment in His praise. It's not a cheap ending or solution. It is a glorious eternity and ending where God gets all of the praise. And maybe you're here today, and you're not certain if Jesus, the Lamb of God, is your Savior and King. Because the truth is, the final hope of dwelling with God in the new creation is not for everyone. Revelation twenty-one eight says this. We read it, but... But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. The Bible is clear that rejection and rebellion against King Jesus will exclude you from his presence in the new creation. It means you will be eternally separated and face eternal punishment of destruction. But that does not have to be the case for you. If you would admit your sin, rejection and rebellion against God, trust and submit to Jesus, the lamb for forgiveness of sin, embrace the resurrection life in him, you can experience the new creation now and ultimately at the end of time. And if you're not sure if you've done that or what that is, Please come and talk to me after the service. Ask someone sitting next to you. We would love to share with you about the lamb who gives you the water of life that quenches all thirst that you have. So why does this matter? What does it look like to live this out in the end? You know, when Wednesday comes, how does the final hope of dwelling with God and the new creation impact your life? Well, two ways to live it out and then we're done. The first way is... You have resurrection power to experience and model the new creation right now. You have resurrection power to experience and model the new creation right now. We mentioned earlier that Paul says we are new creations in Christ. In Christ, you can have a new quality of existence today right now. The new creation has already invaded the old creation in the person and work of Jesus Christ. If you're in Christ, you can have that new creational resurrection power of the Spirit living within you. You don't have to wait until the consummation to experience God in his presence. And God says as new creations in Christ, we are collectively making up a new creational community right now, right now, and that's called the church. The reuniting of heaven and earth has already started as Christ forms his church he calls us his temple, right? Where people are to come and experience God's heavenly dwelling, his perfect love and presence on earth as it is in heaven. Isn't that what Jesus prayed? This gives new meaning to the Lord's prayer Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Church, we should be praying that God brings his perfect heavenly will to earth as it is in heaven, in that we as the church would embody that. You know, I'm so tempted to think of the church merely in terms of the community that encourages me, where we gather on Sunday to worship God, support and encourage one another, and the church certainly is that, but the consummation teaches us it is so much more. The New Testament portrays the church as the present anticipation of the new creation of the new humanity that will rule on earth one day the church right now we're called to anticipate to foreshadow to be a movie trailer of sorts be a movie trailer of the new creation to be passionately one that's one of our values our future hope in the new creation should inform how we engage in this present world what we do matters on earth when we go to africa it matters Because we are modeling the new creational reality of the church, and people will be healed and one day have no pain or suffering or death. We're to foreshadow and reflect the final new creation as a church. And do you see how this makes the significance of the church so much greater? Do you see why God has called us to prioritize and model this in the church? Let's be honest, this takes a lot of personal sacrifice to model and prioritize. I have to lay aside my plans for God's plans. I have to be willing to forgive and reconcile with others. We can't model the life of the new creation if we're not in proximity to each other and to God. Let's together embrace the resurrection power of the Spirit to live this out on Sunday mornings. In community groups, great time to jump in and model the new creation as we're resetting community groups to practice the one another's throughout the week, to be relentlessly outward, inviting others to experience God's new creation. It gives new meaning to what it means, church, that we collectively make up God's new creational reality in the here and now. Second way to live this out. Second way to live this out. Hope in the future to get perspective in the present. Hope in the future to get perspective in the present. Doesn't it seem so often that Satan, death, and sin just win and win and win, they have free reign over us, that nothing ever stops them? And that's why we have to reorient our understanding around the end of the story. We don't settle for a cheap solution or ending when we are frustrated and weighed down by all of the trials in life all of the injustice committed against us, when we are overwhelmed by pain, when relationships aren't what we hope for, we look to our future hope not to deny our present reality, but to get perspective on it. We don't deny the present hardships. We hold them in one hand, and in the other hand, we simultaneously hold the guarantee that one day Jesus will come back to earth, right every wrong, bring complete justice, and make all things new amen? And at the center of our hope, church, is the Lamb of God, who died and rose again for you in love. Remember, Jesus is your present Lamb and Shepherd with you right now to give you mercy and grace in the present and give you confidence that He's going to carry you through and bring you to the glorious day when we dwell with Him in the new creation. We look to our future hope in the Lamb, to bring perspective in the present. At this time, I'd like to call up the band. Anchor Church, imagine with me what it would be like, imagine with me for a moment what it would be like to be a church community that experiences God is making all things new even now, where his resurrection power transforms relationships brings forgiveness and reconciliation. Where people walk in and say, what is going on with this group of people who are willing to die to selfishness and show love? Where grace, peace, and God's presence are experienced in fresh new ways that point toward the new heaven and new earth. And they ask, is what I'm seeing real? And we can say, absolutely it is. And that same realness in Christ can be yours. The Lamb promises to quench any who are thirsty, to freely give them the water of eternal life. And one day the Lamb is coming back. He'll make all things new. No more evil and no more pain. And we will have a new quality of existence and life on this new earth that is the most real thing we have ever experienced. It is so real. It is too good not to believe. I want to invite you to that final hope, church, of dwelling with God and his people in the new creation. I want to see that anchor, church. We are a model of the new creation. I know you want to see that, and God is inviting us into that. And in all of this, we look to our lamb, right? We look to our lamb who died and rose again in love so that we could enjoy and dwell with him forever in the new creation, amen? And so we're gonna sing a song here. Julie's gonna lead us in a song and then we're gonna take communion and we invite anyone who's put their faith and trust in Jesus to participate in communion with us. As we sing, you can make your way to the back tables if you need to get the bread and the juice, but let's stand and sing about the new creation that is coming to us in Christ. I really hope that you were encouraged by the sermon today. You can learn more about us at anchorchurchgilbert.com. We'd love to have you join our mailing list. You can do that on the website. If you have any questions for us about who Jesus is, please let us know through our website. I hope that you were encouraged.